in most organizations there is no ability to kind of use even simple data let's not get into the complex ones first but simple data like your location your designation your work level um the department that you're going to be joining and then architect a journey which is you know unique to you versus me if you're joining the new york office as a sales exec versus i'm joining the um, you know dallas office as uh, an operations exec unfortunately most businesses will kind of give you that same journey and um, what we have been able to do is identify each individual based on all of these different data sets what is going on everyone joining us today is kieran manan an enterprise seller turned business owner who now runs tidy a people ops platform that streamlines onboarding transitions and offboarding for large organizations in today's discussion, we dig through the journey Kieran has been on in growing his company with a deep dive on how a startup can sell to the enterprise, that's large businesses, in an efficient manner. This is The Dirt Podcast, and I am your host, Jim Barnish. To support us, please check out our sponsor, Orchid Black, at orchid.black. And if you are enjoying the content, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way, Google will love us. And now, my friends, here is Kieran Manan. All right, Kieran, say hi to everyone. Hello, and uh, thank you for having me, Jim. Yeah, happy to happy to have you here. So, I'm sure everyone's wondering, um, you know, what it is that you guys do over at Tidy. Maybe let's start there and uh, talk a little bit about your journey. Sure. So, um, Tidy, we do something very very simple, which is um, we work with uh, businesses to connect their employee data to automate onboarding, transitions, and offboarding. So uh, fundamentally, the thesis that we went behind was um, with the increasing number of systems in an organization, you know, employee data sits in silos, and there was a need for a product to, to come in and tie all of it together and, and really build that cohesive, unified profile of the individual. And so that's what we do at Tidy. So is that everything um, from onboarding to offboarding and kind of everything in between? Yeah. So so while you would still have your HR systems, you'd have your IT help desk, your payroll, your uh, financial systems, expense management, learning. So we tie all of those systems together to kind of give a single view of the individual and then automate the data flow across all of these systems. And I see on your website, you're calling it people ops, which yeah. um, is a newer term to the world. But maybe just talk a little <laughs> bit about what, what people ops is and uh, and why that's important to uh, to your situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, HR has fundamentally been something that has started through the industrial age. And I think, unfortunately, through the years with uh, more and more complexity coming into our workplace, HR has had to do a lot of administrative um, and operational work. But DeepLops is that one new kind of um, space which is developing where you kind of have the merge of HR and IT. Um, so where where there's a lot more, of, um, I would say, technical, a lot more of um, systems coming into play in order to deliver the best experience. So so it's no longer just, you know, your traditional HR processes, but how do you kind of build a techno-functional role? And that's what PeopleOps is all about. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I uh, When I think about 
uh, people, right? It's a business is all about the people, people first, employees, yeah. they take care of your customers, so on and so forth, right? Um, this term people ops, I think is uh, not only so innovative, but but so important for people to recognize that this is the direction that everything in a business is moving towards, right? Like kind of like yeah. revenue ops, revenue is no Correct. longer about sales or sales and marketing. It's about tying together the the revenue of the business from sales to operations, right? Same thing right. with people. So I, you know, I, I love this. I love this concept. Is this something that, um, that you guys have created? Is this a well-known <laughs> industry term? You know, talk to me about that. It's, it's, um, it's getting there. Uh, I think it's fairly in its infancy stage as well. I think there's been just so much of uh, proliferation of uh, SaaS apps and technology coming into the employee experience, especially both COVID and, you know, um, with the whole hybrid workforce and everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, there's there's been a lot of, um, I would say, um, a lot of that kind of coming in and building into the, yeah. Got it. So maybe not as far as RevOps or DevOps, but um, starting to catch on from a uh, from a lingo perspective. Yep. Okay. Got it. <laughs> so when when you um, when you started Tidy, I mean, obviously it's been a few years, and I want to I want to go back to that in a second. Compared to today, how has your vision for what you've been building evolved? Um. I think we've actually moved uh, more towards the IT side of the world than the HR side of the world. That's what's kind of happened from from a uh, deployment perspective as well, where we're now partnering not just with the CHRO, but also with the CIO within the organizations to ensure employee data is secure, is meeting all the requirements from a privacy perspective. Um, is meeting all the requirements from a scalability and um, and security perspective. So so we're starting to see the um, the need to kind of partner with not just the HR organization but with the uh, CIO organization as well within organi- within uh, businesses. And and what are the size of these businesses that you're serving? I mean, I know you've got some big customers, some of which are on your website, some which aren't. But what's the general size of organizations you're serving? Yeah, so we traditionally service uh, organizations with about 5,000 plus employees uh, on on average. We do have some really large uh, businesses that we work with, um, you know, 100,000 plus people, 40 plus countries. So we have a pretty wide geographic spread as well. Got it. What what have been some of the, call them challenges, trials, tribulations, the dirt is kind of what I like to call it. But but what are, what is what are some of the things that you faced and overcome in growing Tidy's people ops platform? And not just on the product side, just in general in the business. Yeah. I think what we did, which was um very different from your traditional kind of startup uh, route, is uh we started by going after enterprise. Uh we started by going after larger businesses and um I think that in itself is a challenge when you have some sort of track record, but when you don't, then it becomes an even bigger challenge. The reason we did that, though, is um, from a product perspective, what we built was built for an organization that had complexity with systems and locations and, you know, multiple people. Mm-hmm. So um, it 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 was important we went after larger enterprises up front. That was a huge challenge to, to try and um, uh, overcome. One of the ways we actually did that is we're, we're 
U.S. headquartered operations in the U.S. We have a dev team in in India. One of the ways we actually found a hack was uh, to try and actually hit some of the, I would say, the innovation centers of some of the large organizations which were based in Asia, and to try and showcase value over there before we kind of built it into a global agreement. Right. So when you're going after an enterprise, it's it's almost impossible to hit the ground running and get a global agreement up front on day one. So the idea is always to kind of show value, which will then build a case internally to kind of then be able to deploy across the globe. So so I think that was one of the big challenges that we faced early on and uh, one of the hacks that we found to, to try and actually, you know, um, get around it. So are you guys typically having a sell through procurement as well or? or... Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, and yeah. what what's that? I mean, some people listening might be like, oh, what is procurement? I've never heard of that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what does that look like? And how does that shift the way that you guys need to sell and involve stakeholders? Yeah, so so when you're selling into an enterprise, uh, you're not just selling to the, the functional head who is either the sponsor or the main user or, or the user group of the product. In our case, uh, you know, there would be HR who's the main user group within the product. Um, you would have the CIO team who has to also give a okay and kind of go through due diligence. And then once you complete that, so it's not just one person buying, it's a group of people who you have to convince. Uh, once you complete that, you kind of move into uh, procurement stage. And procurement is the centralization of all purchasing activities within the enterprise. So whether it's um, you know software to stationery to whatever it may be, there's there's a procurement team in enterprises who will basically come in and try and ensure that the organization gets the best possible deal. Um, so what we do with uh, procurement is in our process, it's usually one of the last processes before the contract gets signed. Um, it is traditionally a stage where you will get negotiated down. Um, you do have to account for that when you go into enterprise sales. Um, there is always a certain percentage that you're looking at, which um, you know you will have to give procurement as as a discount before you kind of move ahead. Um, and and so, yeah, we we just treat it as part of the process. Got it, got it. And and I uh, you know I love the the tone of the conversation as we start to talk about enterprise sales, right? Because I think a lot of founders right. out there are like, well, I've never, I've never done this <laughs> whole thing called sales, but um, I'm having to be a big part of it, if not the primary driver of it, right? So like, how is your enterprise sales background? Um, and feel free to give details on that if you'd like. How has that helped sure. you as a founder? And what are some of the things that you've learned from an enterprise environment to you know, now a uh, smaller company, a um, <laughs> little bit different. Yeah, no, a little bit different for sure. So prior to starting Tidy, I have about 17 or 18 years of, uh, you know, enterprise sales. So I've been doing this for a while. And, you know, you, you kind of start understanding the process, no matter what you're selling, there's always a process. There's always, as I said, you know, multiple teams that you're talking to, there's procurement, there's contract, due diligence, there are certain specific steps that you need to kind of go through from an enterprise sales perspective. I think uh, the big difference for me with Tidy was, um, you know, it was for the first time that I was actually selling a product that had no history and that had uh, no sort of um, 
known name behind it, right? Because as a startup, you're an absolute nobody. So um, the the process of selling was slightly different because um, during the early years, it was very much solution oriented. So, you know, we want to go and um, solve this problem, but was it onboarding that stuck? Was it employee data management that stuck? So there was a lot of experimentation that kind of uh, went through the process from a sales perspective. But uh, I think the big difference selling to enterprise versus SMB or mid-market is um, with the enterprise, you're focusing a lot on organizational value and ROI. It's it's not just about you know what the HR team will get, for example, in our case. It's also about what the managers would get, what the um, IT teams would get, what the admin teams would get with with automation of people ops. So so I think it's a much bigger kind of value proposition that you need to have when you're selling into enterprise. Uh, obviously, you need to have the check marks, which are your security and you know scalability. You need to be able to prove that. Uh, very often, they would kind of also do due diligence on your platform to understand if you actually have it or you're just saying it. Um, so so those are the kind of steps that, you know, would differ from traditional enterprise sales versus enterprise sales as a startup. Yeah, no, it's you hit on some some key points I want to pull out of there. So um, typical sales cycle for a, a startup isn't really ever typical <laughs> compared yeah. to a larger <laughs> company, right? So like, so what, what does that look like as you've grown from, from zero, you know, in, in your first enterprise customer to today, like, what does that look like and how has that evolved in terms of the sales process and in general, you know, the, the length, the length of the sale? Yeah. So that's a really good point. So um, when, when we started, we were taking about, you know, five to six months to close a deal. Um, now, that's not the most atrocious number. It's already a pretty optimized uh, number. But that's because, you know, I, I could prep ourselves for what, what would be expected from an enterprise sales perspective. I think most other founders that I speak to who have zero enterprise sales experience, you're, you're starting from zero. Uh, and trying to figure out the process as you go because you've never done it before. But I think the advantage I had was uh, I started at probably 40 or 50% because I knew what was coming up. I think the big, big um, optimization for us was um, you need to have talking points and you need to have collateral at each stage. And what I mean by that is uh, things like... Um, you know, when when a company goes into due diligence to understand whether your product can meet their requirements, they're looking for technical architecture, data flow. They're looking at you know the server setup. Do you have disaster recovery in place? Do you have um, you know um, all of those kind of things uh, set up? And during the initial days when we were selling, a lot of that was still something we were figuring out. So we didn't have specific um, documents about it we were kind of you know building the airplane as we as we fell kind of thing so mm -hmm. um so so i think um that took us some time even though we knew what the process was but uh cut short to today our our sales process is anywhere between three to four months to to close you know a 100k deal plus wow. uh per year so um yeah it's fairly optimized at this point 
Yeah, for those of you listening, three to four months for an enterprise sale being a you know relatively small company. You guys have obviously yeah. grown well above fifty people or so now, but but you know not a five thousand person company yet. Right. Uh, yeah. So you know it's it's th- that that short time frame takes some mastery of not only enterprise sales but of the value to the customer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, to your point, Kieran, that value is not just to the buyer. That value is not just right. to the user. That value is to a series of stakeholders over the organization, right? Um, yeah. For for you, you've mentioned yours, but for others, it might you know in, include you know any executive, any mid and any mid level manager, and oftentimes like lots of users and influencers <laughs> along yeah. the process. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the main ones that you need to kind of uh, worry about are your gatekeepers. And you need to kind of identify for your product who those gatekeepers are. They are not necessarily the guys who are buying you. Um, they're not necessarily the ones who would potentially use you 24-7 on, on a daily basis. But they're the gatekeepers who will influence whether your deal goes through or not. Um, in our case, a lot of that is, you know, for example, it's the CIO organization. It is potentially even from... Uh, procurement is definitely a gatekeeper for everyone. It is because uh, oh, yeah. they can make your your life hell. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I think other than that, you need to find who that other gatekeeper is within your sales process. Who's your gatekeeper? Uh, in our case, it's usually the CIO organization. Yeah, so um, it's, oh, it's I meant usually tidy. I meant to tidy. <laughs> oh, <and> tidy! <laughs> I, I'm usually a gatekeeper. Yeah, it's you're at that stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's 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 good. So for you though, it's usually you were saying it's usually the CIO at your customers. Yeah, usually. yeah, that's right. Why is that? Um, because we're such a technology optimized product, and we're touching so many different systems within the organization. You know, while the CIO is tasked with uh, delivering a great experience from a technology and information systems perspective. Uh, that also means he or she needs to kind of uh, account for, you know, any new piece of uh, software coming into the system. And uh, primarily because our product integrates with so many of them internally, it does become a pretty big, I would say, focal point for the CIO within the organization. So are you then integrating with CRMs, ERPs, you know, um, anything yeah. else across or like across the board, like service service now, for instance? Yep. Yeah. So your service now is IT help desk, you know, uh, HR systems like Oracle and yep. Workday, uh, payroll systems and vendors like ADP or paychecks, um, you know, potentially with uh, identity management uh, systems like Okta and, uh, you know, ADFS. So multiple systems that we're integrating and kind of bringing together from an employee data perspective. So is this um, is this then an open API play for all those integrations or are you having to do actual hard integrations? So, so that's, that's a really interesting question because um, when you go into enterprise, there's nothing called open API. <laughs> you might have APIs available, but every single enterprise has a very different data structure. You know, they might be using Oracle three of them using the same Oracle uh, product or the same Workday product or the same ADP product, but their nuances are so um, custom that the data structure within each one of these systems is going to be very different. And so 
we love it when there are APIs, but there's always a certain amount of custom, uh, you know, build that you have to bring in. Always. And therein why I always. ask the question. <laughs> always. <laughs> Legacy systems are uh, are the opposite of open API. Oh yeah. Oh, we've we've done integrations with legacy systems, and some of the integrations that we've done, you know, oh my god, is is uh, incredible how we even managed to get data out of it or or push back into it. So yeah. So let's talk about data for a second. What are the what are the core value elements that you guys see in data, whether that be internal or as a potential business model for you guys down the line? So, so I think, you know, data for us is, is the core of um, everything we do. And, and I think one thing most people don't realize is um, you and I give more data about ourselves to our employers than we do to any other service. You know, whether it's the bank or whether it's Amazon or Netflix or whatever, you're giving a very limited amount of information about yourself. But when you think about what you're giving your employer, you're giving your entire work history, your educational uh, experience, your family structure for insurance, your, um, you know, communication, where you stay, your documents for verification and ID. So, so there's a huge amount of information that you're actually giving your employer, which you're not giving anyone else. And um, what we're trying to really transform is how that data could be used to deliver a better experience. Because with um, 100th of the information that you give your employer, Netflix can still give you recommendations, which your employer cannot do in the in in the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. So, so our idea is how do we use that data that's sitting you know, completely unused within the organization and how can you use that to deliver a better experience for, for each individual? So can you can you walk me through an, ex- an example of, of, you know, let's just say I'm working at, you know, Enterprise A, right? And I'm the human being. Enterprise is obviously the company I work for. What, yeah. you know, what, um, what does that look like in terms of being able to use the data for both parties' benefits? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's simple things like um, in most organizations, there is no ability to kind of use even simple data. Let's not get into the complex ones first, but simple data like your location, your designation, your work level, um, the department that you're going to be joining, and then architect a journey, which is, you know, unique to you versus me. If you're joining the New York office as a sales exec, Versus I'm joining the, um, you know, Dallas office as uh, an operations exec. Unfortunately, most businesses will kind of give you that same journey. And um, what we have been able to do is identify each individual based on all of these different data sets. So if Jim's joining as a sales exec, you know, um, uh, he needs to go through a completely different journey, which talks about the products that he's going to be selling the systems that he's going to use to sell those products, the CRM, whatever it may be, have um, an expense account because he's a sales exec. So have an expense account with a $100,000 limit, which is set up on Coupa or an Expensify or whatever it is. But me as an operations exec don't need any of those. Mm-hmm. Um, even those simple things are today manually managed because there's no system to understand where each employee is and what their um, data set is. Now, if you take it one step further, you know, if you think about benefits, um, 
society can actually understand that I might have a one-year-old kid and out of that 40-page benefits document, which no one's ever going to read, it can pick up the fact that, hey, you know, uh, a daycare service is one of the benefits we provide and that might be important for you. That might be the top five benefits that are relevant for you, Kiran, right? So um, that level of experience is what, what kind of creates the wow factor because now I feel that the organization is kind of uh, molding itself around me rather than me having to go to seven different places to find the data that I need or to find the information I need. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an incredible value proposition. <laughs> so <laughs> when you when you think about that at scale, right? Um, once you guys have you know a thousand customers, which I'm sure you're right around the corner from, um, like what? What does that look like once you have all of that data at more of an aggregate level? Is is there any ability to use that information for other purposes? No, I mean, so uh, a lot of the data is uh, between you and your organization, right? So you're giving the organization the yeah, um, the right to use that data for delivering a level of service. Um, we can now pick that up and uh, use that on a global level. Uh, that portability of employee data is still not there. Is that something that you know we're thinking about and speaking to people about 100%, but um, it's still not there today. That portability of employee data is still, I think, a couple of years off at least. Got it, got it. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's really all about the customer relationship between employee and employer to your to your Correct. Point, right? Correct. So when you, um, when you think about some of the, things you've had to overcome as a founder and some of your expertise. I'm sure there's still been some things that fit within, you know, all that rich history of enterprise sales that you wish you knew ahead of time yeah. in, in startup world or growth stage world, right? <laughs> are there any are there any specific things that come to mind around revenue generation, around around sales that that you wish you knew earlier? So so I think one of the things that I uh, you know really had to learn even after my you know, 17, 18 years of experience, was um, how to set up the sales engine from scratch, which is very different from going into an enterprise that already has a product that had people selling it, you know, had some legacy behind it. Setting up the sales engine from, from absolutely nothing is, is uh, quite a different challenge. And for me, that was something new, right? Um, yeah, I've set up teams in, you know, different uh, cities and things like that. But again, there was legacy behind that, either as a product or an organization. But over here, there was no legacy. So um, setting that up to, to to really be able to build that lead pipeline, you know, whether it was SDR driven and with an AE kind of uh, closing out the deals, that was a pretty significant challenge. It kind of took me uh, some time to kind of figure that out. Um I would say that I've figured that out in today's context of Tidy, but maybe, you know, a year from now, as we kind of keep building, there will still be more learnings for me as, as I kind of continue to build that wholesale motion from a geography perspective or expansion perspective. Did you bring on any folks to to help you? do that did you figure it out on your own did you bring in a you know cro internally like how did you go about figuring out the mastery of here's exactly how we're going to go to market 
here's how I'm going to bring on my first and then second and then, you know, 10th salesperson and so on yeah. and so forth. No. So, so I think uh, bringing someone early on is, is probably not the best thing to do. The, the only reason is unless you as a founder have figured it out, um, it becomes very tough to translate that tribal knowledge um, unless you already know it. Right. And so um, I think what we did was um, I started by doing everything on my own, um, kind of brought in a couple of junior folk to to kind of support me from an SDR perspective, outbound emails, whatever it may be. But but the whole sales motion was something I kind of focused on figuring out myself. Um, once once you do that, you know the initial sales have to be founder led, as everyone you know says. It just makes sense because. As I said, you need to know what the basic mechanics are in order to know which uh, levers to pull to to scale. Um, the next stage is where it's founder supported. So it's not founder led, but it's founder supported where you have your AE and SDRs kind of clicking on their own, but the founder supports them to to close out deals. And only once that's done, do you kind of get into a CRO sort of world where you bring in a CRO with experience to start scaling that team. Because till then, you're still figuring it out. I would say we're still in that founder-supported model still. And maybe we're still a year away from you know really bringing in a whole CRO organization and then setting that up. I'm glad you say that because it's... Um... You know, I, I have conversations on the regular <laughs> with yeah. folks who have brought in a CRO too early, a VP of sales, whatever you want to call the title. Yeah. Yeah. But really what it is at the end of the day is bringing somebody else to figure out sales for you, <laughs> to sure. figure out revenue for you. And that just, that doesn't work. Um, no. Whether you're a product-led founder, a sales-led founder, or a subject matter expert, you have that tribal knowledge like you mentioned, and there is yeah. no replacement for that. Um, yeah. And someone is just going to get frustrated coming in, trying to figure it out and be you and duplicate your results without yeah, yeah. your support. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Driving it first. So, and, and it's not just about the sales, right? Because that tribal knowledge has to be fed into your product, has to be fed into your vision, has to be fed into a pivot if required from a from a product perspective as well. And so only you as a founder have that thought process and vision to to really kind of let it feed back into all of those other processes. So it's not just about the sales. And I think that's why it's really important. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. That's a really good point. All right. So bringing us back to people ops for one second, and then I, you know, I do want to hop in to our uh, founder five, which are five quick hit questions at the end here, but one question first. So um, what do you think people ops is going to look like five years from now, 10 years from now you pick? And how is Tidy preparing for it? I think, um, you know, the the whole concept of employee experience has become a, or will start becoming a distributed responsibility. I think um, it's no longer the gamut of uh, HR to focus only uh, on EX and improve productivity of the individual, but it'll become a shared responsibility across multiple teams. And really, that's what PeopleOps is trying to set up for is that eventuality in five years' time where, you know, it's no longer HR who's the only one responsible for EX, but you have your managers, you have your IT teams, you have your admin teams, all of them who are coming together in order to be 
responsible for the experience of each individual employee. And so um, I think PeopleOps is a step towards that eventuality. All right, I'm going to drop my, if I, my mic wasn't hooked up right here, I'd just drop it right now for you. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we need to turn at least one of those into a quote. Um, all right, so um, lastly here, just want to close us off with the founder five. So five quick hit questions. Uh, first one is number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on? Lead velocity, actually. Nice. Top tip for growth stage founders like yourself? Oh, um, I would say don't don't shy away from um, all the um, rough days. I think that's what really helps you kind of uh, build a long-lasting organization. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to be a lunatic to start a company. <laughs> yeah, <right>. exactly. <laughs> Number three, uh, favorite book or podcast that's helped you to grow as a founder? Uh, I, I, I really like uh, The Monk Who's Old. It's Ferrari. Um, I I remember reading that you know eons ago now, but um, it's still kind of it's top of mind for me. Nice, uh, awesome. Yeah. All right, uh, piece of advice that counters what would be considered traditional wisdom. Um, everyone says you know when you start up, you need to start by going after the small and medium businesses. Um, challenge that if your product is something that an enterprise could use and, and don't shy away from it because, um, you know, enterprise can be a great feedback mechanism for you more than SMBs can in certain cases. But if you've been building for two years and you still haven't sold a customer, you're probably selling, selling up the wrong tree. Oh yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> two years is too long. Two years is too long. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, all right. Uh, lastly here, um, when you've accomplished all you set out to achieve, what's going to be the title of your autobiography? <laughs> I persevered. I thought maybe it was going to be tidy. I, I, I actually <laughs> might turn that into the title of my autobiography. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> Although my fiance would awesome. tell me I'm, I'm the last thing from tidy. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, actually, she's my wife now. Wow, I can't believe I just... Oh, wow. Anyway. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So uh, I know we got to I, I know we gotta close this off, although I've enjoyed it so much, Kieran. Um, I, I just want to give you an opportunity here at the end uh, for a little bit of self-promotion since you've given so much to our audience today. What, um, you know, what can anyone listening do to help you out? You know, I think uh, I wouldn't be a true founder if I said sales, but, uh, you know, anytime you, you could help me with sales, that's going to be awesome. But we're also hiring quite a bit. There are a lot of roles that we're hiring for and we're continuing to grow while the rest the tech ecosystem starts kind of letting go of people we're going the other way um so so please do go to our website uh, www.tidy.co um look at the opportunities over there and yeah that would be awesome awesome yeah i encourage you guys listen in listen up go to the website and uh reach out to kieran if you're uh in need of some offboarding and onboarding support from a tech perspective <laughs> awesome excellent you uh you killed it today, Kieran. Thanks for everything and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jim. Pleasure. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt. <laughs>